Okay, so quick disclaimer this morning. This is something, a big part of what we're talking about this morning, something I've actually been taught, and I'm just doing my best to relay it. Uh, but every once in a while, I wonder what I would have if I didn't know what everybody else had, okay? I wonder, you know, how, what, what would I want if I didn't know what everybody else had? And I wonder how much money might I have saved in my life if I didn't know what you spent your money on. And then I also, when I'm kind of feeling, you know, really contemplative, right, and I, try, I kind of get real introspective and, and deep, I wonder how much money in my life would I have given away to people who have less than I have if I didn't know what the people who had more than I had had. Does that make sense? I, I don't know if that makes any sense. Here's the problem. The problem is this. I know too much. I have too much information. Uh, the problem is I know too much about what other people around me have that I don't have. And this information, if I'm not careful, can make me dangerously incontent. It can really push me right to the edge of financial ruin when I know what you have that I don't have that I want. And it can push me to the point of having too much credit card debt, owning things that I wished I didn't have, wishing I could get half of back on what I spent on that thing that I bought five years ago that I really don't want, but I kind of wanted because you had it and I wanted it. And, you know, it just, it pushes me right to the edge of financial ruin. It just kind of feeds this appetite that I have. Uh, and when you guys know, I feel like you can relate to this. We know that our appetites, they're never going to be fully satisfied, right? That's the reason an appetite's never fully satisfied. That's the reason that when you go after you have a, a big meal, you know, you have a big old meal and 15, 20, 30 maybe minutes later, you just find yourself wandering aimlessly like a zombie into the kitchen. And you don't know why. But you're there, and you just find yourself there. Then all of a sudden, you find yourself doing what? Opening the refrigerator and just looking. Why? I don't know. It looks the same that it did 20 minutes ago, but I look again. Maybe something, you know, maybe the food fairies dropped something in there. It's, it's because our appetites, they're never fully satisfied. Right, man, my appetite for stuff, my appetite for possessions, it never is fully satisfied. It's always growing. And I'm always wanting more. I, I, uh, what I'm trying to say is this. Let, let me just get to the point. Here's what I'm trying to say. I struggle in the area of my stuff and my possessions and my money, my finances. I struggle with self-control. That, that's what I'm trying to say. I struggle in this area of my life with self-control, with my money, my stuff, and my possessions. Now, this is the fourth week that we're talking about this topic, or uh, the uh, fifth week, actually. We're talking about uh, self-control, and we've already said self-control is simply saying yes to ourselves at the appropriate time and saying no to ourselves at the appropriate time. And this morning, we're going to talk about having self-control in the area of our finances, our money, and our stuff, our possessions. Now, don't like have this mad stampede to the door. Just give me a second. I know it's not comfortable. I understand that. Um, you know, don't, don't run out on me just yet this morning because this is not what I think about money. This isn't what Harley thinks about money. This is simply, we're going to present what Jesus said about our stuff and about our possessions. Now, there's something very interesting that happens kind of in the church world and in church work, if you will. Uh, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, when someone comes to a, a pastor, comes to someone that's on staff at a church, and, and they want to talk about something that's really bothering them, or they want to talk about something that is really a challenge in their life, or maybe in their children's life, 
uh, or something that's kind of dark that they really don't want anyone to know about. More often than not, not always, but more often than not, that conversation is going to revolve around two areas. It's either going to revolve around sex or it's going to revolve around money, either directly or indirectly. More often than not, not always, but directly or indirectly, it's going to be one of those two topics. And it's interesting because those are actually two areas in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, where we kind of don't pay attention to what the New Covenant teaches. We just kind of disregard what the New Testament says about sex and what the New Testament says about money. We just kind of say, okay, it's there, but eh, I kind of want to stiff arm that topic, you know? I don't know why I just like held an imaginary football when I did that, but I did. I like went Heisman a little bit. But we, we kind of want to stiff arm that conversation. Even though the New Covenant's pretty clear on those two topics, we're kind of like, eh, not today. I don't really want to see what the New Covenant says about those topics. Now, if you're not a religious person, I totally get it. I totally get it. I do. Because word on the street is this. The church is 100% uh, against sex, and the church, all we want is your money, right? That's why we get uh, gray flower pots. That's why they're there, right? And that's why we talk about we want your money. That's the word on the street. And so I kind of get it. But when it comes to money, the church doesn't want your money, or at least it shouldn't. Because Jesus didn't want your money. Jesus wanted your heart. And your heart kind of follows your money. Now, while Jesus didn't want our money, he does want something for us as it relates to our money. And, and any church, a good church, that is organized around the teachings of Jesus should be the same way. That, that church shouldn't want your money, but it should want something for us as it relates to our money. But this morning, we're not talking about getting out of debt. We're not talking about living on a budget, living on less than you make, you're saving for college retirement. We're not talking about that this morning. There's some, that's some great topics. Not saying that's not good stuff. There are some awesome programs out there that we talk about here at Stuttgart Harvest Church quite often. But this morning, we're actually talking about something much deeper than that. In fact, the truth is you could be completely out of debt. You could be very, very wealthy. You could be on top of the world financially. And according to Jesus in the New Covenant, you can actually be out of control financially. Because when it comes to money, Jesus really gets to the heart of the matter. He goes directly to the heart of the matter. And so we're going to start this morning in the book of Matthew Chapter 6. Now, this was uh, a really, this is a really well-known teaching of Jesus. In fact, there's a bunch of really well-known teachings of Jesus kind of sandwiched in here in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, right in there. Uh, and, and so Jesus is teaching this, and, and Matthew records it for us because he was there, and he heard it, and he wrote it down. And this is what Matthew tells us that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. So no one, that's everyone, right? No one, all of us, we can't serve two masters. I read that and I think, well, I don't really have a master, much less two. What are you talking about here, Jesus? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, the Greek word there for uh, master, it does not in, uh, insinuate or it does not mean boss. It doesn't mean supervisor. That word master that Jesus uses in the Greek, it is actually, it, it implies possession. It implies ownership. Okay? It implies possession and ownership. So Jesus in this verse is simply saying, hey, what I'm talking about, what I'm about to share with you guys over the next few verses, 
This is an issue of possession. This is an issue of ownership. That is, Jesus is saying, me, Cole, I can't be possessed. I can't be owned. I can't be mastered by more than one thing. It's going to be an either ordeal. And it's really easy when we read the beginning of verse 24, at least it is to me, it's really easy to read the beginning of verse 24 and to kind of look at it from the perspective of Jesus must be talking about, you can't serve two masters. Okay, he must be talking about God and Satan, right? Good versus evil, light versus darkness, good guy, bad guy. It's easy to assume that that's where Jesus is going, but it's not. So I'll read that one more time. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, love the other, be devoted to the one, and despise the other. Then Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. It's not God and Satan that, that Jesus draws the line between. It's God and money. In other words, I can't be mastered by God while also being a slave to or mastered by my stuff, my possessions, and my money. See, the primary issue here to Jesus concerning our relationship with money, it's not the money. The money has nothing to do with it. It's not the stuff. It's not the possessions. The primary issue to Jesus concerning money and money's control of my life is in the area of mastery. Who owns me? So the question that Jesus presents kind of in this, this, this passage as it relates to me as a follower of him is this. Do I have money or does money have me? Do I own money or does money own me? Do I possess money? Do I use money or does money possess and use me? And the reason that we need self-control in this area of our life is because money and what money promises. And hey, let's be real honest here. Money promises a lot. This isn't going to be one of those times where we talk about it and it's like we, we talk about money like it's this bad, evil thing. We're not going to talk about it like that. We know what money promises. Everybody knows what money and financial stability promise. It's about the fact that money and what money promises is actually the chief competitor for my heart. It's the chief competitor for God, for, to God, with God, to, for my heart. My money and my possessions and what my money promises. And that actually leads us to big, our first big point this morning. And it's this. Money is God's chief competitor for the ownership of our heart. Money and what money can promise and what money can do and what possessions and stuff can do. It's the chief competitor for God with my heart. And without self-control in this area of my life, we're either going to veer off the cliff of consumption or we are going to crash into the wall of hoarding. Consumption, hoarding. One consumption, it is unbridled desire. It is, I want, I want, I need, I need, better, bigger, newer, upgrade, 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 upgrade. Consume, consume, consume. The other is unbridled fear. What if I don't have enough? This one's me. I'm the unbridled fear guy. What if I don't have enough? What if there's not enough at the end of the month to pay the bills? What if there's not enough at the end of the month? Uh, how am I going to send the kids to college? How am I going to retire? How am I going to pay for that leaky roof that I know is going to need to be fixed inside of the next three years? How am I going to do it? Unbridled consumption, unbridled hoarding, fear. And the root cause for both of these things is a word that we really don't like. I don't like it. I don't like to talk about it. 
But it's the word greed. That's the root cause of, of fear in these areas. It's, it's, it's greed. And greed is simply the assumption that if you place it into my hand, it's for me. It's mine. Not yours. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's mine. If you put it into my hand, it's mine. If it's in my, my, uh, my, my checking account, it's not yours. You can't have it. Don't ask for it. It's mine. And I squeeze my hand as tightly around it as I possibly can. If it shows up in my 401k, if it shows up in my paycheck, if it shows up in my inheritance, it's for me. It's not for you. Greed is simply the assumption that it is all for my consumption. It's mine. And if I choose, you know, again, in one of those feelings of, you know, being real contemplative and kind of ooey-gooey like I was talking about a few minutes ago. If I choose in one of those moments of my life to, out of the compassion of my heart, to give some of it away. To say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little bit of it away. I'm going to do it really slowly. So God will see. See that? We're going to do it really slow. Say, here, watch what I do with what is mine. But then for many of us, most of us, maybe all of us, something interesting happens. And it's this. Trouble comes along. Problems, financial troubles, financial worries. I can't speak for everyone. I would say 99% of us have experienced financial troubles. Financial trouble comes knocking on the door. Beating on the door. Slipping in through the window, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you bought too much house, you know, and you're like, ah, oh, I'm in trouble. Uh, maybe you have too many loans out, right? There's too much debt, not enough coming in, too much going out. Uh, paying for college is absolutely crushing your soul. I, whatever. Maybe it's nothing that you did. Maybe you were laid off from your job. Maybe you, you've been laid off from your job. Nothing you could do about it. COVID has been tough. Maybe you were laid off from your job. Maybe uh, you were lied to by a business partner. Maybe you were stolen from. Maybe you were cheated to. I don't know. But for most of us, trouble at some point financially will come knocking at the door. Wanting in. And I can't speak for anyone else. I can't speak for anyone who's watching us right now online. But I can speak for me. This is what I do. Every time trouble financially has knocked on my door to my family and to my household. This is what I do. I'm not actually going to get down on my knees, but you get the idea. I pray. Well, yeah, I will too. I pray. I pray. That's what I do. I get down on my knees and I begin to pray. And I pray. And, you know, initially you're probably thinking, well, <laughs> what else are you supposed to do? What do you're, we're at church. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pray. But here's what I pray. When financial problems knock on my door, I pray, God, please come into my finances. God, please come into my banking account because I have a problem. I have some issues. Whether I need a job, God, please, I need a job. Whether I just need a break, God, I just need a break. I just need one break. If I can get one break, everything's going to change. Maybe I need a miracle. <laughs> God, I really, you're going to have to show up in a big way, and I'll give you all the power, all the praise and all the honor, right? We pray, God, please come into my finances. I invite God into my finances when trouble hits. Like, God, I, I, I might have chosen the wrong master here. But here's the question that I hope all of us, myself included, will, 
Well, ask. If you're, you feel like there's any of that in you, if you think you might do that as well, when trouble comes knocking, that's when you say, God, please come in to my finances. Please be the master of my finances. Please take control of my finances. If it only happens when troubles come. If you're like me in that way, maybe ask this question. Why don't we just go ahead and allow God to be the master of our finances before the troubles come? Why don't we go ahead and invite him in now? Why not invite him to be the master of our finances now before trouble's knocking on the door? Just think about it. We'll come back to that. Okay, so back to self, uh, self-control. How do we have self-control in this area of our finances? How do we actually have it? How can we get control? How can we invite God in before trouble comes? How can we get control of our finances? How do we set ourselves up for success whether we have a whole lot or we have a little bit? Well, Jesus talked about it in the New Covenant. He, he teaches in the New Covenant a very simple concept. Very simple concept. He says, if you want to have financial control, if, if you want to have God, if you want to invite God into your finances, if you want to look at your finances the way God looks at things, we just have to reprioritize. We've got to reprioritize. We've got to flip the script, so to speak. We have to reprioritize the way that we handle our stuff and our money, and our possessions, and our finances. Now, for most people today, the majority of people, and again, I'm not speaking, the only reason I'm up here on this stage is because you can see me better. So I'm not speaking down. I'm speaking right out of here. Uh, for most people living today, the way that uh, people that are mastered by their money, our finances look something like this. First, first, we live. We live. We, we go to work. We work hard. We earn a paycheck. We live. We pay our bills, pay the light bill, water bill, cable, internet, car loan, mortgage. We, we pay. We live. We've got need every once in a while, whatever. Well, we live first. And then after we live, we save. The second thing we do is we save. 401k at work, 403b, Roth IRA, whatever. We save. We save a little bit of money. Well, we save a little bit of money so that we can have something to live on down the road. Nothing wrong with that. We live, we save, and then if there's anything left over at all, right, if there's anything left over after one and two have been taken care of, we give. So we live first, we save second, and then we give what's left over. Me first, me second, and then everybody else in the world, including what God is doing, third. Live, save, give. And when we re- really, when we do that, we're kind of more or less living as if God has no interest. He has no idea what's going on in this life. We're living as if there's really nothing more to this life than this life. Just what I can get out of it. But then Jesus comes along in the new covenant and he says, no, no, hey, wait, wait, you got it backwards. He says, hey, if you're going to let me be the master of your money, then you're going to have to embrace the way that I look at the world. You're going to have to embrace the way that I see things, my values. And when you do that, you're going to flip that script. You're going to change that up. So this is how we master our money. This is how we begin to get self-control in this area, this very difficult area, to have control. We flip the script. We give first. We give right off the top. We give. Then we save, and then we live on what's left. Now, I know Look, whether you're a Christ follower or not, I will be honest, if, whether, it, regardless, if you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower, if you ever give a dime to this church, it is immaterial, totally immaterial. I hope that we have done a good job in, in the history of our church to make it very obvious, honest. We, we're not about that. 
But whether you're a Christ follower, where you ever give a dime to this church, I promise if you'll consider flipping the script here and give first, save second, live third, you'll come back one day and you'll say, yeah, that was a really good advice. Jesus, that was really good advice. Not that I'm Jesus. That's not what I mean. Jesus said it. I'm just relaying it. That was a really good idea. That's a really good way to live. But I totally get it. I honestly do. I know right now you're sitting in your seat. You're sitting at home and you're kind of eh, a little nervous. Eh, feel a little bit uncomfortable. Why? Nobody likes the church to talk about money. I get it. I'm there too, man. I go into a, a church uh, experience of any type and they start asking me to give money or thinking I even think they might be starting to ask me to give money. I'm like, Mm-mm, hold on now. It's not, I, I get it. I really do. If you're feeling a little nervous and a little uncomfortable right now, I totally understand. No hard foot, because I am the same boat. So I was thinking this week, I was reading and I was watching some different stuff and, and trying to pick up some different stuff, and I was thinking, how can I convince the people that I'm going to talk to this week and that I'm talking to online, how can I convince them, people that I care about and I really care, how can I convince them that this teaching that we're talking about this week is not just about, it's not about getting money. How can I convince that this isn't about me, this isn't about this church, this is simply what it looks like to follow Jesus in the area of our finances? How, how can we do that? I got to thinking about it, and I was like, okay. And when I tell you guys this, I want you to know I'm not patting myself or, or Beth on the back at all. That's not what this is about. In fact, I, I really hesitated to include it for this reason. But this is the best illustration that I can give. Beth and I, ever since both of our girls were born, Ella and Rachel. Ella's nine, Rachel's five, right? Yeah, nine, nine and five. That's right. Ella's nine and Rachel is five. Uh, ever since they were born, anytime they would receive money for any reason, whether they got money for Christmas, birthdays, Valentine's Day, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Columbus Day, Flag Day. It really started to get that crazy after a while because they got like a Mimi and a Peepaw and a Mams and a Pops and a Nanny. They really like them. So anytime they would get money, $5 here, $10 there, whatever, they understand because Beth and I have taught them, they have three jars in their bedrooms. It's actually three piggy banks, if you want to know the truth, but it's, it's three jars. Um, and one jar is the give jar. One jar is the save jar. And one jar is the live jar. And I'm not telling you guys we do this, all, like we're really good at this all the time. In fact, honestly, Ellen and Rachel remind us as much as we remind, remind them now. Well, when they get money, they understand. You're going to give 10%. You're going to put 10% of what you've gotten in the give jar. You're going to put 10% of what you've gotten in the save jar, and you're going to live on the rest. You're gonna, that's what you're going to buy your slime with. If you've got kids right now, you know what I'm talking about. Slime is a big deal. You're going to buy slime with what's left. Bubble gum, bubble gum is still a big deal, but whatever. You're going to buy slime. That We might as well put slime jar on the live jar. But you're going to give 10%, you're going to save 10%, and you're going to live on the rest. And they just know that, and, and they're pretty good about that. Why in the world... Would Beth and I teach our girls to give first, save second, live third? Why would we do that? Why Is it because the church needs their money? No. If I wanted the church to get my girls money, I would sneak into their bedrooms at night. And we would have like this reverse tooth fairy thing, right? We would like go in there and we would like, hey, tooth fairy, she's she a little low, needs a little money. i just sneak in there and take it. If, if the church needed my girl's money, honestly, here's, here's what I would do. I would say, 
Give it over right now. Give it to me. I, I could do that. They can't stop me. They might not like it, but they can't stop me. If I wanted the church to get my curls money, I'd just take it. That's not why we do that. Here's why Beth and I do that. Here's why since they were born, it's give first, save second, and live third. Because, hey, we don't want our kids to be mastered by money. We know where that takes you. We've been there. We've lived it. We've walked it. And we don't want our girls to be mastered by money. This is really this reordering of our finances from live, save, give to give, save, live. This is a key to independence. This is independence from a life that believes that life equals stuff. Life equals money. Life equals what my money can do for me. This is a key to independence from that way of thinking. It's independence from a lifestyle that pretty much relegates God to the corner. Where he's like in this case and, and you only break glass in times of emergency. Because no matter how much stuff we have, I have, I'm always discontent and I always want more and I always want to consume and to hoard more. Here's why. Because it's an appetite. And we're never going to fully satisfy those appetites. And when we're driven by appetites, unhealthy things usually happen. Let's be honest, 99% of us, we're going to run out of time way before we run out of money and stuff. So why do we live letting our stuff and our possessions and our money master us, control us? Again, it's not an issue of the stuff. It's an issue of the mastery of the stuff. I just don't want my kids to grow up that way. That's why we do it. I don't want my kids only relying on God in times of emergencies. This is simply independence from a life, independent of God. That's why this habit, give, save, live, in that order, this new priority... That's why we do it. Because for the rest of my kids' life, for the rest of my kids' lives, money is going to compete for first place in their heart. And I don't want money to win. I don't want my kids to prioritize money over their personal peace that I've done in my life many times. I don't want them to do that. I don't want my kids to prioritize money over their marriages or prioritize money over their health or prioritize money over their kids, which will be my grandkids. I don't want them to do it. I don't want my kids to be slaves to money. Now, do I want my kids to have stuff? Absolutely. This is not an anti-stuff thing we're talking about here. I want my kids to have stuff. I want my kids to grow up and have a house and have a nice vehicle and have food food and more food because I'm going to come over and I want them to have lots of food so I can eat it. Uh, you know, I want my kids to have clothes. I want my kids to have nice stuff. That is not what I'm trying to say. I just don't want my kids' stuff to have them. And that's why we use the jars. It has nothing to do with the church getting their money. It has nothing to do with the church getting our money. That's not the point this morning. And if I've failed to convey that, I'm so sorry. In fact, best we can tell. Now look, don't get any ideas when I say this, okay? Y'all promise? Don't get any ideas when I say this? Best we can tell. Jesus never took up an offering. Don't get any ideas. Okay? He never took up an offering. So this is what it looks like. We give first, we save second, and we live third. That's how we reprioritize. That's how we look at our finances, the way Jesus looked at our finances. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, love the other, be devoted to the one, despise the other. You can't serve. Not you may not, not you 
Possibly you cannot serve. I cannot serve God and money. Be mastered, be owned by God and money. And then a few minutes later in the exact same teaching, verse 31, Jesus says this. So don't worry. Don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Don't worry about it. Jesus is basically saying, look, I know you worry about this stuff. I know you fret over those things. Now, we may not relate as much to what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. We may not relate to that as much today. But 2,000 years ago, those were worries. What am I going to eat? Clothes were stupid expensive. What are we going to wear? We, we would relate more maybe today to how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to fix the roof? How am I going to retire? Jesus says, don't worry about those things. I know you worry about that stuff. I know you do. But don't, because here's what's going to happen if you worry, worry, worry about money. Our hands and our hearts, man, they're going to close up so tight. And no one is ever going to pry them open. And we really can't follow Jesus with closed hands and closed hearts. And then Jesus adds this in verse 32. He says, and I love this verse. He says, for the pagans. Now, anyone that did not believe in the one true God of Israel at that time, they were considered a pagan. So Jesus is basically talking about everyone but the Jews, by and large. Everyone but the Jews. He says, for the pagans, everybody but the Jews. The pagans, don't worry, because the pagans, they run after all of those things. Don't worry like they worry. Now, so look, the gods, plural, that the pagans worship, they could have cared less. They could not have cared less about the people. They didn't. They toyed, the gods, plural, they toyed with people. They manipulated people. If you, if you know anything, if you've ever read anything about Greek mythology, the gods manipulated people. And so the people... They would try to manipulate the gods. They would try to bribe the gods to get the gods to do something good for them. Because otherwise, the gods were just there to mess with them. They didn't give a rip. And so the people would manipulate the gods to get the gods to do good things for them. A lot of, a lot of, and Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to live that way, the way the pagans live. They have to, based on their belief system. You don't. And then he says, your heavenly father, he knows what you need. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. He knows what you need. So don't act like the pagans. God cares. He actually gives a rip about you. The pagans do that kind of stuff because they don't have any hope. You're different. Do I believe that? Do, do, you, do we collectively, do we believe that? I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus is talking to his audience 2,000 years ago. He's talking to us as we read it today. He says, hey, your heavenly father, he knows what you need. Don't worry. So if our heavenly father knows what we need, do we really need to worry about it? Well, Jesus says no. Now, look, I'm not saying that I don't worry. I'm not saying that I have gotten my head and my heart wrapped around this thing yet. I promise you. I'm not saying that I get this completely, but I can say this. That the moment we can wrap our heads and we can wrap our hearts around the fact that Jesus said that God knows what we need, then our hands that were prior to that were just so clenched tight around the things that we felt like we needed to consume and to hoard and to have. They slowly, when we realize it, they open up. 
and our hearts open up. They get wide open when we realize, hey, God's got this. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Then Jesus goes on in verse 33, and he says, okay, so, um, you know, don't worry about it. Pagans worry about it. And he says, but instead of worrying, instead of worrying about it like the pagans do and, and consuming and hoarding and doing all those things like the pagans do, he says, here's what I want you to do. Here's, here's what my followers do. So if you want to know how to have self-control of your, of your finances, this is it. Get a piece of paper and a pen. This is it right here. He says, but instead, he says, seek first. Reprioritize. Put, put first. Put reorder. Rearrange. Seek first. Seek what, what do we seek first? His kingdom. Whose kingdom? God's kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus says, hey, I want you to put my father's kingdom and his values first before everything else. And his kingdom is an other's first kingdom. Jesus' priority, the way that he looks at the world, it's an other's first kingdom. And that's the kingdom that we are supposed to seek first, an other's first kingdom. And then Jesus goes, oh, all these things will be given to you. Almost like an aside, and all these things will be taken care of. God's kingdom that we are commanded to, or, or required to seek first as a follower of Jesus, God's kingdom, it is an other's first kingdom. It's all about doing what's right for other people. And if we're going to invite Jesus into our finances, into our banking account, into our pocketbook, it, take, it is going to take us in the direction, invariably, of others' firstness. I have no idea if firstness is a word. But it is today. Others' firstness. It's going to require a reprioritization. There's a great example of that, in fact, in the book of Mark. Um, of, G of that very thing. Because, I mean, we can read that and say Jesus says those things. And it, on the surface, it's like, well, eh. I mean, Jesus said it. And, you know, he rose from the dead. So when a guy rises from the dead, you kind of listen to what they say. But, you know, it's like, how can Jesus say, really? Others first in all things, including my money? Well, not long before Jesus was about to be crucified, maybe days, certainly weeks, Jesus and his followers are on their way to Jerusalem. They're going to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, very last one. This is toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is recorded by Mark. Now, Jesus' followers, the apostles, his, his followers at that time, they did not want Jesus to go. They don't want Jesus to go because they're afraid that Jesus is going to be arrested. They're his followers, so they too will probably be arrested. They don't want to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, yeah, we're going to Jerusalem. So they're having a conversation, and, and they're having this conversation, and they say, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, this is going to be the moment that we have all been waiting for. Maybe when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, Instead of him being arrested, maybe he's going he's to take over. He's going to ascend to the throne. He's going to take over. This is the moment maybe that we've all been waiting for. Maybe this is it. He's going to come into Jerusalem. He's going to rip off the rabbi robe. He's going to have on the Messiah suit, the big M on the front. He's going to be like, step aside because I'm here. The Romans are going to be kicked out. The Pharisees are going to be like, our bad. You were right. We were wrong. Everything's cool now. Maybe this will be the moment. And so then they do something that I too would probably do in this conversation. Start with James and John. And then in this conversation, they start talking about, okay, so Jesus is going to be on the throne. He's going to be at the top. He's going to need some lieutenants. He's going to need some people kind of helping him out. 
that's us, guys. Who's going to be in the number two seat, the number three seat? Jesus is in one. We're going to be two, three, four. Who's, they start arguing about who's going to get to sit on Jesus' right hand and who's going to get to sit on Jesus' left hand in his kingdom. And, and Jesus, he hears this, and he kind of leans in, you know, and I almost think he kind of rolls his eyes like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? Three years I've been dealing with these idiots, and they just don't get it. And, and he kind of leans into them one more time, and he says, guys, guys, you're getting it wrong. My kingdom, the kingdom that will be set up when everything culminates. My kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. It's not like anything that you've ever experienced. And we have it recorded. Mark records it for us in chapter 10, verse 42. Jesus, and again, that's the background. Jesus says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. In other words, you know that when someone's in power, they use their power selfishly. It's all about them, me, I, not you, not others. It's all about what you can do with your power, with your money, with your authority, with your stuff. Jesus says, you know that's how it works. He says, and they're high officials. They exercise authority over them. Jesus is like, you know how these things work. Whoever's in charge, they're in charge, and everyone has to do what they say. To that, I feel like his disciples are probably like, yeah, exactly. And you're going to be in charge, and we're going to be number two, three, and four, and people are going to have to do what we say. It's going to be awesome. We can't wait. And Jesus is like, hey, 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 that's not it. And he looks at his disciples in the next verse, and he looks at me as a follower of his. And he looks at you, if you are a follower of Jesus. He looks at me, he looks at us, and he says... In verse 43, if there's, if there's a singular verse in the entire New Covenant that followers of Jesus should get committed to memory about what it's supposed to look like, it's this one. He says, yeah, all of these kingdoms, everybody's out for them and themselves and what's important for them. And Jesus says in verse 43, not so with you. Not so with you. That's not the way it works, guys. He says, hey, Guys, you, you're my follower. You claim to be my follower. Great. You want to be a part of my gang? You want to be in my posse? You, you want to be a part my father's kingdom? That's not how it works. That's not the kingdom that I am going to set up. It's different. And he says this, the rest of verse 43, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. Jesus is saying to his followers 2,000 years ago, he's saying to us now, if we're a follower of his, he says, hey, you want to be first in my kingdom? You want to be important in my kingdom? Then you got to get in last place. you got to serve everyone that you come into contact with. And before any of his followers at that time could argue, and before I can say, whoa, Jesus, hold on. Did he really say that? Are you sure? Does he really expect me to serve people as I work to the back of the line? Jesus adds this in verse 45. He says, for even the Son of Man, anytime Jesus says Son of Man, he's talking about himself. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then he like, you know, kind of drops the mic. He says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
It's like Jesus is talking to his followers there, you know, and he's talking to me. And I read that, and he's, Jesus is like, you think you're better than me? To which his followers were probably like, no, no, we don't think you're, we're better than you. You're Jesus. You, we've seen what you've done. You, you've raised people from the dead. You've made blind people see. You, you've healed people that couldn't walk. You've done all kinds of amazing, crazy things. Oh, oh, my gosh, it's been amazing. No, we're not better than you. You're Jesus. He says, okay. Then get in the back of the line. Because that's where I'm going. I'm going to the back of the line. That's why we're going to Jerusalem. And so I can go to the back of the line. Jesus, in a matter of certainly weeks, maybe, maybe, maybe days, he is about to do for the entire world what he is about to ask the entire world to do for one another. And it changed the world then. It can change the world today. That's our second big point, in fact. Selflessness, others, others, serve. Selflessness would change. It would solve everything. Selflessness, it would solve everything. I'm going to say it one more time. Selflessness would solve everything. Welcome to the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's not about who's first. It's about who's going to be last. Verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first, reprioritize, reorder first his kingdom. Whose kingdom? God's kingdom. And his righteousness and this relax. Because all these things are going to be given unto you. And God's kingdom, the kingdom that we were commanded to seek first before anything else. The kingdom that we were commanded to seek first in all aspects of our life. Including our money. Remember, this whole teaching started with God versus money. This kingdom that we're supposed to seek first. It's an other's first kingdom. It's selfless. In other words, Cole, hey, hey, Cole, listen. You want to get control of your money? You want to get, you want to be, you want to have, you want to invite me to be the master of your finances? Not be mastered by money? Then, hey, here's what you got to do, Cole. You, you got to put others first in your finances. As evidence to the fact that you have put God first in your life, you got to put others first. And when I put other people first and what God is up to in this world first, in, my, in the area of my finances, that's just an open invitation to where I'm saying, God, you first. Everything you're doing first. And me second. And then I feel like at that moment, that's where God's like, all right, let's roll. Because that's what my kingdom is all about. Others first. Remember the most famous verse in the Bible? Probably the first one that you ever memorized. First one I ever memorized. This was it. John chapter 3 verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. Welcome to God's kingdom. That's what it is. Give, serve others first. And he'll take care of us because he knows what we need. He's going to take care of us. How do we make sure that we have control of our money, our finances? How do we have control? How are we not mastered by our money? We just got to get our priorities in order. Big point number three, we have to seek first in the area of our money as it pertains to this morning. We have to seek first the kingdom of God. 
which is that kingdom is an other's first kingdom. Let's pray. God, this is, this is not an easy topic. This is not an easy topic to talk about. This is not an easy topic to teach. Um, God, this, this is tough. This has been a tough one. And so, God, we just, we know, though, this is a topic that could change everything. This could make such an impact in all of our lives, myself at the very top of the list. God, I don't hesitate to give you my worries. I don't hesitate to give you my fears. I don't hesitate to trust you with my eternity. But God, it's not as easy to invite you into my finances. And when trouble comes, sure, I'll, I'll invite you in. But God, help us to make you the master before trouble starts knocking on the door. And Jesus, you said that you came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. And you gave your life in order to serve me. So God, just, just give us the courage to serve our community. Give us the courage to serve those who, don't, who we maybe do not see eye to eye with. Give us the courage to reprioritize our finances with an other's first mentality. God, money competes with you for my heart. And God, I just don't want money to win. And it's in your name that we ask these things. Amen.